How's it going today, RSO nerds? We got we got a special podcast for you. Um, I, I think we're coming with episode 13 of season two. And we have somebody who I, I would consider a mentor of mine in, in the industry and somebody I'm, I'm eternally grateful for. Um, my former editor and editor-in-chief at Number Fire, that is um, JJ Zacharyson. Uh, who's join, who's joining us on the All About Reality podcast today? Um, JJ hosts the Living the Stream podcast with Denny Carter, and his his own late round QB podcast, which um, you know is a great quick hit segment of you know 15, 20 minutes, um, you know frequently, and is valuable insight for the industry. And and I think JJ is well well known and well traveled, and I appreciate all the guidance as my editor. You know, as, as somebody who you know made me made me better as an analyst at when I was at Number Fire. So JJ, welcome. We're we're really excited to have you. Yeah, I appreciate the kind words, man. I know that uh, that I back in the day, I I, uh, I definitely cracked the whip at times as an editor. Um, luckily, luckily, I've been able to sort of uh, get away from that side a little bit more and, and be a little bit more higher level and strategic with what we're doing at Number Fire. But those were the days, man. Back back when you were there, those were the days. I know we we had a really good team. I mean, look where some of these folks are. I, I feel like I'm just kind of like the veteran tight end of the group or whatever, like <laughs> like the, like like the Heath Miller type who you know you could check down to. But like you got Graham Barfield at NFL, you got Scott Barrett at PFF, you got you know Ty, Tyler Beaker, you know at Fantasy yeah. Guru. I mean Leo Howell went to ESPN for a while. Chris Ray, Chris Raybon, Chris Raybon was there. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, you even even before my time, I think wasn't Rebar there too? Like with the yeah, you know, he was the there Konami for group. a few articles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's just I mean, and Brandon and Jim are really really doing well there, you know, on on all aspects of you know all sports on that, and I th I think you know one of the things that I will say to the people who are aspiring to be writers in this industry, I think that what made JJ such a good editor, other than the fact that you cared and put a lot of time in, was that you challenged me to like I, I'd come up with an idea, and instead of like write, you know, you really pushed me to to write a thesis and and figure out, you know. Hey, why is Jordan Reed going to be a tight end value this year as opposed to having the conclusion and then writing backwards from yeah, it? So I absolutely. think that's re that's really helped me as an analyst. So, but it. no, nobody else wants to hear about my writing. You know, <laughs> I, I might, you know, once my daughter was born, that kind of tailed off, and, and you know, I'm doing the podcast thing and all about reality and reality sports online, which I've been a fan of since the jump. So I, I thank you for the opportunity, and I'm. You know, Luke and I are very excited to have you on. And without that, I don't think Luke has even spoken yet. So, Luke, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing great. But I, I too, uh, really have enjoyed JJ's work. Um, but it, it's funny to me hearing all those other names. I, I just spent the time you were talking, looking for how I could make a connection to one of those other guys. I don't know how I ended up with you, like as a co-host. You know, <laughs> like that's. A, I really am like that. But no, JJ, actually, it's that might be a, an interesting segue to the starting point. It's we haven't talked to many of our other guests, but you, um, it's a funny thing to finally get to quote unquote meet you vis-a-vis -vis this podcast because when you listen to someone for so long, you develop like a familiarity with some of their idiosyncrasies and idioms and things. And in Scott Fishbowl, I happened to be in the division with Denny and like 35 of his, oh his parody accounts. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so it's very funny to like, to hear you on the most recent um, late round quarterback 
uh, pardon me, on Living the Stream when you guys just dropped and were alluding to what was happening in Scott Fishbowl. And I'm like dying laughing because I was in the group chat for when Denny <laughs> just was refusing to pick a running back. Yeah. And, and it was just confusing. Like why Dion Lewis is his, his best running back on his team. But, um, but the reason why I ask you this is in your own life, has it played out with this very specific kind of fame and nerd? Like you have kind of like the ideal kind of fame. You can walk around in day-to-day -day life and nobody will know who you are. Right. But if you show up, you can choose to show up to say like, uh, like a fantasy con and then everybody will be like, look at that guy, like buy you beers, I assume. Is that is that kind of how it plays out for you? I mean, life? maybe maybe not to that extreme. It's more so, look, I, I always tell people like, uh, sure, like, you know, I have a listenership and a readership and all of that, but like, I mean, we're talking fantasy football here. Like it's right. very, very, to me, it's very, very difficult to like ever get a big head. Uh, physically, I have a big head, but, <laughs> uh, but like, like it's just a weird, like, like we're just talking about fantasy football guys. You know what right. I mean? Like I'm always like, if someone's like nervous to talk to me about like something that they're working on or something like that, like chill, like it's fine. Like I'm not, this again, this is fantasy football. This isn't like, like something that, that really matters. This is all hobby for everyone. It's a ho it started as a hobby for me. It is still a hobby for me, right? right? Um so you know, it's one of those things. I think it's hilarious like I I uh I one day was picking up a prescription and the pharmacist was like, "Wait, he was like, "You're are you the late round quarterback?" And I was like, "Yeah." yeah. And, like, and it was like it was hilarious cuz like of all places, it was it was the pharmacy that that like, you know, someone recognizes your name or something like that. Um but it's, you know, to me to me, it's 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 a great life. I I love the community. I love everyone that I interact with. Um, you know, I, I just I, I think that there's a lot of smart people in this industry in particular. Um, and that that really, you know, it's a community that that pushes one another, uh, not just through words, but but through what they produce themselves. You know, you it's 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 competitive in from from that perspective. But we're all friends. So if we go to a conference or something, we're all just hanging out, having a beer. It's nothing big. Uh, and, and that's that's the way it should be, I think. For sure. And would you say that as you kind of came up in it, did you ever have a moment where the shoe was on the other foot where you were kind of genuinely excited and or nervous to meet one of those other people that you now that you now call colleagues and part of your community? Oh, definitely, definitely. I remember the uh the first, you know, one of one of the big like breaks, if you will, that I got was like six months into what I was, you know, I published the late round quarterback ebook. Um, and then six months and I was writing on lateroundqb.com and doing a blog post basically every day. Um, but then after about six months or so, Evan Silva, uh, caught wind of what I was doing and he called me. Um, and this was back in 2012, I want to say, and he called me and he's like, Hey, do you want to do uh, a series, a quarterback series on Roto world? And I had a phone conversation. He probably doesn't even remember the phone conversation had a phone conversation with them and it was a very nerve wracking, like it, it's, 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 you know, I, I want to do this as my job, of course. I mean, who doesn't want to, who, who's, who's doing, you know, who's writing stuff in the industry. Um, and so, you know, it was an op, I knew I saw it as a good opportunity, of course, cause it's Roto world. I mean, that's, that's, that's it for, for fantasy, uh, analysis. And so I remember talking to him and, and, you know, the conversation went well and it's, you know, looking back, it's really interesting and, and fun. Um, because Evan and I are good friends now, you know, it's, it's, it's how that just sort of evolves and you need people like him. You need, you know, I always say too, like Matthew Barry is the most approachable person, uh, that you could ever find at the top of an industry. Um, and I think that really trickles down and, and really helps 
um, cultivate what we see within the fantasy community. So I, I think it's just all really, really important. But yeah, you know, back in the day, I definitely, I remember the first podcast I ever went on. It was just a smaller show that probably got like, you know, 25 listens. And I was so nervous that I like, like, I'm not even that big of a drinker. And I'm like, I need to have a couple beers before I go on the show. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things. So you just, you, you get better at what you do. You feel more comfortable with what you do. You get more confident. And then it just kind of goes from there's always going to be something that you, you know, get nervous about or, or, you know, have hesitation, but you just got to push through it. You're totally right about this industry and how it has trickled down. And I think one of the big moments in that, and I really encouraged Goody this year to get involved in the Scott Fishville precisely because you do get to like be in a division with other people who are attempting to do this analysis. And it's fun to see them interact with, with people who are not doing it as a, even as a living, but more as a hobby. So uh, Goody, I want to turn to you to start off with, because I think uh, since JJ and you and I are all happen to be in the Scott Fishbowl this year, and we've talked a little bit about what that is on the program, now that your team is in the books, is there any pick that stood out to you from your team, Goody, that you're like, I'm really happy that one played that way for me? And then perhaps your least favorite pick too, like as, as we kind of have the unofficial kickoff of the fantasy season for, for most gamers. Sure. I I mean, as an aside, the the Scott fishbowl was the draft was a lot of fun. I'm not used to doing redraft leagues as much anymore. Just doing a lot of reality sports online auctions and things like that. So it it was fun for me, like, especially with the scoring system and just getting to know different people in the community and, and JJ and I happen to be in the same league. I I mean, I think that's totally random and and this is the first league I'm playing with it. So it's funny because JJ was at, at, on the is in the back half of that draft and I was kind of at the beginning and looking at our team side by side I feel like we picked running we picked position players in similar slots just me at the top of the draft and JJ at the bottom or as it as it reversed for for me I, I mean I, I think the the picks that one of the picks I'm getting more excited about um, as running back 30 at the 8.09, I picked my second running back, which is Rashad Penny. And I, I'm leery a little bit, you know, being here in Seattle about like the running backs. And I, you know, I think Chris Carson is is a really good, phenomenal player. Uh, and I think that, you know, obviously Penny has the high draft capital from a year ago. But I think, you know, if you're viewing, I always kind of view running back too as a position that I usually punt on a little bit. And I just think there's there's some there's some standalone value and upside there. So especially when you pair them with my, you know, my first choice overall at four, Alvin Kamara, I, I like that pick. Um, I have a couple picks, I think that were, you know, kind of you know, that, that could turn out really good. Corey Davis in the ninth round uh, right after 9.04 at wide receiver 35 is someone that, you know, could, could you know, if, if this is his third year breakout, you know, there's a lot of value there as my wide receiver four. I mean, I picked DJ Moore in the fifth round. That may be a little early. So I'm a little nervous about that. And then I really didn't focus much on getting a QB three, which, you know, with um, you know Deshaun Watson and Mitchell Trubisky, I, you know that could be a little dicey having Fitzpatrick and you know um, Daniel Jones as my other quarterbacks. And JJ, how about you, man? Any any that you were really thrilled with? Any that you uh, went and cried yourself to sleep over or anything? Yeah, pretty much all of them. That's that's generally how I how how <laughs> fantasy football goes for me. Uh, no, I mean, look, I, I will say I was very jealous of of Matt's team and the way that value was dropping to him. Like the Rashad Penny pick was one that I I was hoping he would come back around and, and somehow fall to me, for instance, because I really looked at this draft from the perspective of upside. Not, I don't I don't I mean, I do care if my team is completely dreadful. 
Um, but but I I really care more that that the team at least has that upside. And to me, Rashad Penny is like a perfect zero RB type pick this year, just because he'll have that standalone value. But then if if Chris Carson gets hurt, all of a sudden Rashad Penny's arguably a fringe RB one. So um, I, I I really like that pick. Um, you know, my team, I, I did get Aaron Rodgers in the fourth round. Uh, it was more of a, a value play for me. Um, you know, I, I definitely was between, and I told Matt this as well, is between uh, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Freeman, and A.J. Green. Uh, probably A.J. Green mostly, and then obviously he just ends up falling to Matt. It was just another example of these guys just falling into his lap. Um, so I, I, I don't want to say I totally regret the Rodgers pick, um, but I was I was sort of hoping we would see more of a quarterback run than we saw in the fourth and the fifth round. Um, but I will say my five six turn. So I was in the eleven spot. Um, my five six turn. I got Chris Godwin, who I'm really high on. I think has that upside. Not only even if everyone's healthy, but if something were to happen to Mike Evans, and obviously Chris Godwin could see a ton of targets in that offense. Um, and then Hunter Henry fell the early six when I saw a lot of other teams getting him at the three four turn. Um, so I was, I was pleased with that, just given the, the tight end scoring. And I, I was able to then be flexible and just drafting running backs and wide receivers for a lot, the remaining of the draft, because I knew that I could just throw Hunter Henry in there and feel pretty good about it. Um, so I feel okay about the draft in general. Like I said, I was trying to get upside. I'd say a pick that I wasn't as pleased with was maybe, maybe Derek Carr as my QB two. Uh, I don't like the schedule that he, that he's going to have this season. I do think that there's going to be uh, positive touchdown regression there because he had a pretty low touchdown rate last year. And then obviously AB is there. So maybe there's some upside. And then uh, I, I I do think that that Peyton Barber was another pick that I got, which was sort of a, it was more of like a value play above all else, right? It wasn't, it, it, I don't see Peyton Barber as having someone with a lot of upside. And again, I was really looking for that upside. Um, but I do think at least, you know, in a, in a format where you're going to have deeper rosters, he can at least give me some sort of steadiness at the running back position because I mostly punted that position in the draft. I hear you. In a weird kind of twist of fate, I was right in the middle. I was at, at the seventh pick. And so there, there were two kind of critical things that caused me to just chase value rather than stick to my plan. First of all, all six of those running backs that you would anticipate went one through six. So David Johnson and Melvin Gordon went five, six, which left me moving to Travis Kelsey. And that just puts me in a weird spot. I usually build around running back in those first two rounds. And then, so I went Chubb in the second. And when Aaron Rodgers came to me in the fourth, because Derrick Henry and Devontae Freeman, who were the last running backs in that tier that I wanted, literally went the two picks before me. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, like you, I'm going to try to trigger uh, some kind of quarterback run. Yeah. And Amari Cooper went right next. And I was like, well, that didn't work how I yeah. wanted it to. And just so that kind of just changed again. Uh, I felt like it left me with more flexibility for the draft because I ended up with Rodgers and and the clearly better quarterback, Kirk Cousins, a couple of rounds later. But like I, I had those two um, along the way. But nonetheless, it's it's so much fun, and I encourage listeners to look at and follow along the SFB nine hashtag and donate to Fantasy Cares. I've really admired. Um, Scott Fish as much as anybody that I've encountered on Twitter just because he seems to actually be responsive and care like whether you're a big name or, or a no name or just like someone that he wants to like like talk about fantasy football with and and it seems like he's one of these people where where good things are happening for a good person. And I like that kind of serendipity in the industry and in life. So so that's that's like how we started off with Scott Fishbowl. Um then so Goody, you you guys along the way had like some interesting exchanges in your in your draft and things like that was there anybody 
that you were surprised by as they fell or um you or they rose like you were like wow i can't believe that guy went as early or as late as he did well i i mean i just want to chime in on rogers i think for a second because I, I was looking at i was debating 50 50 between rogers and deshaun watson at 3.04 and just with the 50 yard rushing bonus went with what got tucked into watson basically and so my thought with rogers for both of you i think he's tremendous value i mean i think he finishes as the 17th overall player in scoring last year and that was basically on an injured slash down year. So, I, I mean, you getting him at an ADP around 50 is, is tremendous value for me. And I just kind of was incredulous at the back half of the draft, just, you know, that, that like let him fall into JJ's lap. I mean, I think there was a lot of picks like that, you know, like when it started to get to like the Dante Pettis's of the world and then some of the running backs like Miles Sanders, Royce Freeman, he got Edo Smith. So like, I, I mean, I, it was funny because I think the person who was picking back to back behind him didn't grab receivers until really late. It and was that, crazy. Yeah. It was and, not yeah. And that's kind of like what Denny did, you know, I guess at, at running back. And I was just like, well, you know, we, you do realize we have to start three of these. And then of course, of course you like you, then you look up the profile that, you know, it's funny. You see someone who's, who's take you know, not in our, because we move fairly fast but you see somebody who's taking a long time to make their picks so you're like hey this person's a fan do they know what they're doing or whatever and then you look and it says like sfb8 finalist or something so there's clearly method to their madness so i i think that for me i'm like a, i think i'm a quick hitter i kind of know who i'm targeting and, and ready to make picks quickly as long as i'm around the computer so that that, that was a little surprising to me because i felt like you know, kind of some of the back end of the draft was going to play like, you know, not hit like a, on blackjack on like a 19 against a six or something. But it seemed like that was going on a little bit. JJ, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I look, it's it's funny that you felt that way about about my draft because I was feeling exactly. You know, I mentioned that earlier. I felt the same way about yours with uh, with the way that that value was falling. I was shocked, not shocked, but I, I really like the AJ Green pick, as I mentioned. Um, I, I think that, that he, he's, he's been falling in general a little bit further than, than he probably should. Um, and then one surprise, I think in our draft in part particular, um, was Josh Allen getting drafted in the, in the late fifth at, at QB 12. Um, yeah. I just thought that was a little bit high. Um, and, and look, I, obviously he has some of that upside just given what he can do with his legs, but I worry with Josh Allen that, um, you know, a lot of what he did with his legs was scramble related. Um, and, and, and you still need to be that full package in order to be uh, a top 12 quarterback, especially uh, within this landscape. So I, I thought that was a little bit of a reach. But, you know, overall, I, I felt like our draft was incredibly sharp. There, there were a lot of smart drafters um, and that made it difficult. You know, I'm looking at other teams in other leagues and I'm just straight up jealous at some of the value that they got um, because it just wasn't there in our league. So props to our league it's gonna be it's gonna be uh pretty difficult yeah. i think to come out and, and have a strong squad toad di toad division represent that's right yeah, i have to say it was helpful so so matt and i with a couple other people involved with rso had a little like four of us in a group chat and it was so goody your division the toad division was moving fast goody and jj and like so it was interesting to see i was able to take some cues off who was rising and falling and so, for example, I reached around ahead of where I, where 
you guys had to for Rashad Penny, just because the our running back value, I was able to comparatively look, our running backs were going off the board much faster in in my division. And so so basically I kept picking a running back around ahead of where I normally would have picked them precisely because I had your your draft as a template. So that there's a lot of truth to that. It was very sharp and frankly kind of my draft mimicked how people were treating quarterbacks, which was a little bit frustrating because people waited for a while. The only one that rose significantly for me, and I think this is true perhaps industry-wise, and it might be a little bit driven by uh, by really good analysts and sharp people, but uh, Vance McDonald went the seventh overall um, tight end, and he went like he went literally two picks behind Rashad Penny, DJ Moore. He went ahead of people like, like Jimmy Garoppolo, Tyler Lockett, um, Jarvis Landry and Cooper Cup and Marvin Jones and Allen Robinson. Like, so he went in front of names that I thought probably merited more uh, attention than him. Either one of you guys want to comment on Vance McDonald going like in the seventh round of the Scott Fishbowl? Is that, does that strike you as like high or, or am I just off base on that one? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think with with Vance in particular, I, I don't think that the positional value, like the, like where he would be ranked within the position, that tight end seven is that outlandish, just because there is a drop after that Evan Ingram, to, you know, basically where Evan Ingram goes and, and Hunter Henry and, and OJ Howard. Um, but I, I do think that when you're looking at an opportunity cost of some of the guys that you just mentioned, like a Tyler Lockett uh, in particular, um, I, I just I, I think that's that's too high. Uh, a lot, you know, I saw a lot of tight end heavy approaches. I don't think it's the bad, especially with like Kelsey, like Kelsey could absolutely destroy in this league. Like that is the, that, that like you can make a case easily that he would be the one one not that I would take him as the one one but you could at least make that, that argument. And I do think that you, you should at least, you know, feel decent about your tight end position, whatever. Um, but I do think that, that folks might've been overrating some of the mid tier and lower tiered tight ends or the guys who might not have that elite tight end upside only because of, of what the roster requirements tell you, which is you only need to start one tight end. I understand that, that, that the scoring benefits tight ends. I mean, I got Hunter Henry, right? I, I still want that upside. Um, and the scoring definitely benefits them. But, you know, if you look at how a wide receiver is going to score, for instance, chances are you're going to be plugging in that wide receiver into your starting lineup anyway, instead of having like three or four tight ends. Right. So I, I think that's, that's sort of one of the takeaways that I had. So, uh, w- w- with this draft is that there were people who seemed to be wanting to just flex a lot of tight ends. Um, whereas you're going to get a lot more consistency and predictability from someone like Tyler Lockett, let's say, um, than, than someone like Vance McDonald. Very good. Goody, are you feeling the same way about Vance? There, there's one more name I want to throw in and you can pivot either direction because the other name, again, a tight end, and perhaps it's because the elevation of tight end scoring in Scott Fishbowl as they represent a full, uh, PPR where everybody else is half PPR, but this name has been fascinating to me. I don't know if this word is trickling out out west to to where you wander in the wilds out there, Goody. But like it's a uh, around the Baltimore training camp literally quotes Lamar Jackson going speechless about how much he likes Mark Andrews. And so he goes like the 10th tight end overall, which I don't, again, I don't think where he slots in the tight end tier is that surprising, but he went pretty early in our draft ahead of uh, guys like Austin Hooper and Njoku. Um, and, and Lamar Jackson literally in this quote is like talking about the guys he's thrown to and he's like, and Mark Andrews. And then he just like trails off and it's like, I don't know what to say. Like, it's, it's just like this breathless. I've never quite heard speak like this about a, a second year tight end. So is Mark Andrews like a guy that you're, you're targeting for upside or is he, is this a little bit more hype in your mind? Goody? 
I mean, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, I think. Um, I, you know, I, I think, sure, could he be a top 10 tight end? Yes, but you can make the argument for a lot of guys. I mean, you know, in theory, like Greg Olson comes back healthy, he could he could be a top 10 tight end, you know, and I, th- I think that I'd be as willing to take, you know, take Greg Olson as I would be, you know, Mark Andrews, even if he's, Mark Andrews is younger. So, I you know, I, I wouldn't be like to JJ's point. I don't know that I would be taking him over established receivers or, you know, receivers who are, you know, guaranteed volume because I think the easiest, you know, obviously there's, there's half point addition on this, but if your tight ends only catching like, you know, 40, 50 balls, it's, it's still not that easy to figure out what from a week to week perspective. And JJ, that actually is part of what I want to talk to you next. Slightly different question, but as you go through Scott Fishbowl or any draft, um, most of us come to the game as fans first, and then we kind of grow into like trying to win money or trying to like beat our friends or do whatever, like whatever, like else starts to motivate us in it. As you've been grown in the industry, or even just like as a person over these past few years, do you do you still find yourself kind of? inclined because of your Steeler fandom to pick a Vance McDonald more than you otherwise would have. In other words, are you, is your heart driving slightly? Like, is it, is it kind of a determinant of a tiebreaker or something? And for someone like Mark Andrews, like a divisional player playing against your favorite team, would you be inclined to take uh, like a Hooper who's going right around the same place, even if he potentially has lower upside because you just don't want to play a guy against your own team a couple times a year? I think that the one thing that so so I, I've I've pretty much removed the the fandom aspect I think from my analysis um, I, I do think that I probably know more just about the team and and, and how things operate um, it, it, with the Steelers in particular than other teams I'd probably give different analysis or better deeper analysis but um, overall I I just I'd rather win in fantasy football um, and and I know that you have to remove that fandom in order to do so but I will say I mean I'm someone who who hedges things all the time, right? Like even stuff like, like in life, you know, just, just, I, it's, it's just hedging everything that I do. Um, and so I would make the argument that if you're a fan or when I was maybe influenced by the Steelers in some way, which I I don't know if I ever really was from a fantasy standpoint, but let's pretend I was, I would, I would argue that I would go against the Steelers with, with my, my choices, because then it's a win-win, right? Cause if the Steelers are good, heck yeah, the Steelers are good. If the Steelers aren't, then I'm benefiting from that in some way by either fading them or, or picking guys on the Ravens or the Browns or what have you. Um, so it's, it's really, to me, um, I, I would almost look at it from a, a reverse order and a reverse perspective. Um, but overall I, I've, I've had a, a pretty tough time, especially doing this now as my job to, to really be influenced by the fandom. It's so funny that you say that. I live here in DC and there have been two or three times listening to you over the years where I'm like, JJ would be such a good diplomat. Like literally like, <laughs> like you're constantly hedging or like looking for the potential avenue for like growth. Or I, I was like, I was like, I wonder if like watching Game of Thrones with JJ, he's like, well, I could see how the Night King has a point about like, <laughs> like, 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 like no, like that, there's clearly good people here. Um, but yes, it's a... Uh, it is very funny as like as you go a long way, and I think that's important to that analysis. And I do I do wonder how many guys and how many sharp people I'm playing against that don't let 
their fandom affect them or use it as a, a as a lever to like move away so they, they can be happy if the Steelers win but they're also not like overdrafting James Conner or something right. like that. well, well so. there's an easy answer to that most of those guys who are really sharp are just Browns fans who have suffered like over the years <laughs> like me and like want no part of the Brown the Browns like offense it's gonna be really hard this year with what they what they're bringing to the table I mean I, I think I hit my my Browns fandom low like in a home league way back when when Antonio Brown was like an emerging receiver and on a Thursday night game he was getting held down like the whole night and then he got um then he scored a touchdown like an 80 yard touchdown against joe hayden like at the end of the game like it was the fantasy playoffs and that propelled me to a win and it was just kind of crazy to me how like that sacrificed like the browns but helped my fantasy team yeah yeah you guys would appreciate i was peak dad life yesterday i'm sitting there uh, a swim meet was getting rained out and a bunch of 12 and 13 year olds saw on my phone the draft board from from Scott Fishbowl. And so it, it sparked one kid saying that he's a Browns fan. And like, I kind of laughed out loud, like, like this little kid in DC is a Browns fan. I've never heard that before. <laughs> and then all of his friends were like, you're just a bandwagon fan. You were a Redskins fan last year. And they all started arguing about this. And I, and I was like, and then I realized the other parents were kind of creeped out that there was like four or five 12 and 13 year old boys like sitting around my phone. And, and I realized the I don't know. Fantasy has relegated me now that this is my peer group. Like I'm more interested in this discussion with these guys yeah. than whatever the parents are talking about. Under the, so, totally. Um, so uh, one big thing and kind of the center point of why we wanted you to come on JJ, other than your, your large head as you've established yes, and you're, yes. and you're like, um, is a, a while ago on late round QB, you on episode 37, it's kind of an evergreen one. If people want to go back and listen to it as they prepare for their auction drafts this year, you gave some insight into how you would approach and do approach typically auction drafts. That's obviously most relevant for here us here at Reality Sports Online. So can you talk through and then even and different articles you wrote even before that give kind of these tactical decisions that you tend to make in auction drafts. So you want to run through a couple of those and we'll, and we'll give some, some back and forth on, on how you approach auctions as, as, as the late round quarterback group. Yeah. So um, in general, um, you know, you have to, in general redraft or, or snake drafts, let's say they will correlate with how an auction draft is going to go. Um, when you see outliers in auction drafts it's generally because you have, two or three fantasy managers in that draft who are very into one of those players. And then all of a sudden you, uh, you see that inflation occur. But the other thing that I noticed um, with auction drafts is what I sort of dubbed the U theory. I did this years ago when I was actually, I did it for uh, Roto world's magazine a while ago. Um, but it's, it's this idea. So when you enter a draft, you should, an auction draft, you should tier your players. Number one, it's a really, really important exercise to do, um, because you're able to, to equate value very quickly as the draft is going on. So let's say that you have the big four running backs, uh, in Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, um, and, uh, whom am I say? Did I say Saquon? McCaffrey. Uh, McCaffrey. McCaffrey. Of course. I mean, he's in the city that I live in now. Um, so let's say that you have the four of them in a tier. Um, the first one gets nominated. So basically, you know, with tiers, it means that they're interchangeable in rank. You view them the exact same way. You view Alvin Kamara the same as Christian McCaffrey, etc. So the first one gets nominated. You shouldn't feel the need that you absolutely need to get that player uh, because you have three other players that are just as good as that player. That's that's why they're in the same tier. Um, but what I noticed is with the U theory, you know, picture a U, the top of the U as you're drawing it. Um, that's 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 the cost of 
what that player would 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 be worth. So let's say Zeke gets nominated. He goes for X number of dollars. Um, the next two in that tier are likely to actually be less costly than what Zeke was. And the main re- it's it's more psychological than anything else because everyone has that same tier. Everyone has the big four as a tier in fantasy football. Um, and apparently I only had a big three, but I, you know, I, I of course forgot about <laughs> Christian McCaffrey. Um, so let, let's say Zeke goes first. He's nominated first. He goes off the board at a cost of X and then CMC and Alvin Kamara are the next two that are nominated. Those two are going to more than likely be a lot cheaper than what the Saquon Barkley would go for the, the remaining guy in that tier. And the main reason for that is you realize that there's a drop off in tier and all of a sudden the rest of the league managers are sitting there panicking because they want to get one of those players. So with the U theory, that's it's why it's so especially in the with the you know, quote unquote early rounds, those types of players, the 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 high end players, it's a very important exercise to tier because a lot of times those players are going to have similar tiers or, or you're gonna create tiers that are similar as to what other league managers will have. Once you get into the you know, 10th and 11th rounds, everyone's going to view Deontay Foreman differently, right? Everyone's going to view it, those types of players, you know, the later round picks. I know that we're talking auction, but again, it still relates to what general ADP looks like. But the early rounds, everyone has very similar tiers. So utilize that information and and buy low whenever it's the middle of the tier, when, when guys who are being nominated are in, in the middle of that particular tier, buy low on those guys Try not to to be the last person to purchase a, a player who's who's at the end of that tier because you're more than likely going to spend more money. And now that you've been doing this for a few years, and Goody chime in here too if you've seen it. Do you do you find that this has worked better in a in a relatively larger tier of players that you view similarly, like say all second and third round, quote unquote, wide receivers, or for example, in that relatively small set of four. Like, how do you, do you try to be predictive as, as to what the, the points on the top of the U are going to be like, say like in a, in a hundred dollar draft, these guys are going to go for $30 or something, or in mm-hmm. the NFL salary cap, they're going to, the top of it will be like 38 million and the bottom will be say 30 million. Do you try to predict that ahead of time? Or do you just let the draft come to you guys as you go along? So, yeah. I, I think I think that I definitely will go into a draft and have a general idea of what I would spend on those players. Um, but you know, and so let's say Zeke is the first one nominated again. Um, if if he is well well under what that value is, I'll I'll feel fine about getting him. Um, but if it gets to a point where he's at market value, let's say, then I know that the next guys are going to be below market value, or at least there's a high probability. You know, it's not it's not a guarantee. Um, because it only takes one person, unfortunately, to drive up costs for each of these guys. But um, generally speaking, you know, you'll have a, a cheaper cost with those next guys. So, so I'm totally cool with just passing on the first one, and then really going hard in the next two, and then and then obviously passing on the the last one because he's probably going to be the most costly. Goody, how about you, man? Yeah, as for me, I mean, I think in the reality sports online setting, these things are like right in front of your face with these buttons of the years and everything else. So I think the costs are like flashing through your eyes. So I I, I do try to take the emotion out of it and, and look at, you know, just getting a guy in my tier most of the time. I think like, you know, what's interesting to me kind of thinking back to our podcast league 16 team Superflex auction last year where, where we teamed up, Luke, is I think we kind of did some of that, some 
some of that youth stuff there in, in getting the players we wanted. It's just like it, in Christian McCaffrey's case, I think we viewed him as, as the guy in the tier that we had to have basically. But I think we got him in the middle of that, the middle of that band. And, you know, where we didn't get a guy in the middle of the band, I think was like Stefan Diggs, who was like the last acceptable receiver we wanted and we overpaid for him. So I, I you know, I, I mean, it, it all worked out in the end, you know, you got stuck with Stefan Diggs contract in the dispersal draft when we broke up and we went 15 and 0 last year. So, you know, like I, I think, I think it all works. So, so we didn't realize at the time, JJ, thank, thanks for the, the youth theory. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of that, the so based on like SFB draft position and which is predictive to some extent, but even more so like the fantasy pros expert rankings at this point in the offseason, the top 10 receivers are DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham, Michael Thomas, Juju, Mike Evans, A.B., uh, T.Y. Hilton, and Keenan Allen. So there, there's 10 of them. And again, we can speak to this. If we look at that as a big U, and for you guys, for me, in my mind, I'd be comfortable with any of them. So that's what my my tier would look like. I understand that those top guys probably differentiate themselves more significantly, maybe the top four. Um, but if I'd be comfortable with any of those. JJ, speak to me. Now, now where, where your analysis is bearing out, um, are there one or two of those names that you would prefer to the other ones where kind of where you sit in, in the off season at this point? Yeah. I mean, I, I think of those guys, I'd probably put Hilton and Allen in, in the next tier. And then I'd obviously like hold Hopkins and Adams and probably Julio in their own, as you, as you sort of noted. And then I think like Odell and Michael Thomas and Juju and even Mike Evans and, and maybe a B you can put in a tier. So basically, you know, if you have that split up in that way, um, in an auction, I'm 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 going to be totally fine with with any of those players within their individual tiers, um, and so I would then uh, you know just try to get the guy who is being nominated in the middle of that of that tier. Um, so I would be totally fine with with uh, you know like let's say that it is that second tier of OBJ, Michael Thomas, Juju, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown. Um, you know, usually the way that nominations go is that they do go by ADP, generally speaking. So um, let's just pretend that AB would be the last guy being nominated there. I think that's a perfect scenario almost because I would I would put him lowest, you know, in my mind if there's a tiebreaker uh, of the guys in that tier. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that in an auction draft, I'm going to be coming away a lot with a Mike Evans or a Juju Smith-Schuster just because they're going to be usually generally going to be nominated um in between you know the 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 anchors of that tier goody if i asked you now that we and and i think it's seemingly it's not that hard in the offseason to agree on where these guys tier and and where they belong if i asked you goody if you could have one of the big four running backs and pay up significantly one of the big four ish three or four i assume that you would include odell in that top tier of wide receivers so if you could have one of those guys hopkins adams julio or odell and then travis kelsey which one would you feel most comfortable at this point in the offseason paying up for if you if your your salary only permitted you getting one of the big running backs one of the big wide receivers or or kelsey oh i I think one of the running backs, just because I think there, there's some position scarcity there, and and I, I feel like my my process has enabled me to find receivers, you know, mid tier receivers that can still produce. 
Beautiful. And JJ, if I turn to you and up the ante a little bit, if I said you could get one of the running backs or because of the way the draft was going, you could get, say, like Adams and Julio for roughly the same cost. So one of the big four or two of those wide receivers, which way would you go, do you think? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I'd probably go with two of the wide receivers. Um, and, and you know, I hesitate to, to say that because uh, every ounce of research that I've done says that that elite running backs will give you the largest edge in fantasy football. Just a matter of if you can get that guy or not. And generally speaking, that guy is going to be had for either a lot of money in an auction or, you know, early in fantasy drafts. So I, I don't think it's as much of a slam dunk as it might seem. Um, but I would probably lean the wide receivers in that case. Awesome. And JJ, when you play Dynasty, do you find yourself ever inclined to pursue players that are attached to successful organizations that tend to deploy their, whether it be because of an offensive coordinator or just because of kind of institutional political capital in our minds that a an organization is built up like the like the New England Patriots or something? Do you find yourself drawn to players at all more than other players because they're attached to a long-term stable situation when you're playing more of a dynasty angle. I think maybe to a degree, it's probably part of my process. Um, I, you know, dynasty wise, I generally think with a, a three-year window um, because it's very, very difficult to generally speaking, we think that we know a lot more than we do about all of this stuff, right? Um, whether it's the predictiveness of just one single season or what's going to happen five years down the road, you know, there's very few things that we know for certain are going to happen. Um, so I tried to have more of a three-year window um, with the way that I approach Dynasty. And in a three-year window, you can feel a little bit more confident about who an offensive coordinator is going to be, who a coach is going to be, as long as they have a, a track record, of course. like we're, We should feel confident that Sean McVay is going to be with the Rams for the next three years. We should be confident that you know Bill Belichick will still be with New England at least for another year or two. We should be confident that, that the Steelers are, are, you know, they just signed Ben Roethlisberger to another deal. We should be confident that, that he's going to play that deal out. So those are the... The, the things that that I think that you can you can at least look at and attach yourself to. Um, but I don't I try not to go further than that three year window because it really starts to get ambiguous and questionable with how we predict things. Sounds good. And Goody and and JJ, actually, JJ, I'll start here with you. The of the quarterback situations that are super questionable, they were going really late, like the Dolphins quarterbacks, the Titans quarterbacks or Derek Carr and the Raiders. Which one of those situations would you be most confident predicting who's going to be their starting quarterback next year? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, I'd probably lean uh, Derek Carr uh, with some of those later round guys. Um, I know that there's plenty of question marks around Carr. I've been a I've been a, a quote unquote Carr hater uh, throughout throughout my my writing career. Um, so I, you know, I, I think there's plenty of question marks there. But um, the way that the Raiders have sort of set themselves up as from from a build standpoint. Um, I'm not sure that they would, uh, you know, just, just give up on, on, on him as a player just right away. Um, and, and, you know, you know, unless they're in a position where they get the, uh, a top pick in next year's draft or something, I think all of these guys have some sort of, uh, question marks longer term or even next season, just because next year's draft class should be pretty good at quarterback. Um, but I'd probably lean Carr there. Um, not just because I think that he's, he's, uh, the safest, talent-wise of those guys, but um, you know, you're surrounding him him with with better talent this season. Um, and there should be some positive touchdown regression coming. He had a really low touchdown rate last year, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so I think that that at least there's there's some confidence there that he that he puts together a decent statistical year this year. And we know that if there's a good statistical year, T 
teams will at least buy into that. Sounds good. And Goody, with you in RSO terms, would you be would you advise our listeners to offer a speculative longer contract on Mariota, Rosen, or Carr at this point? If they were just taking a flyer contract and throwing out a really cheap one for one of those guys, what would you say in a super flex league? Yeah, I think it, it it's a dime a dozen. You can pick either one of like any of them. I, I actually can I pivot? I want to pivot to a quick question for JJ while I was thinking of Go it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk a bit about what your mentality, your processes in dynasty rookie drafts? Just like a real high level. I, I think that's important for our listeners. I mean, most of the contracts are in a rookie wage scale in this, so they're fairly similar. Sure. So, are you chasing upside? Are you chasing like team, like situation, like what? what like your needs like what what are you looking at there yeah so i i think that even you know with rookie drafts even more than what we're seeing from a regular draft whether it's an auction or or a redraft league or, or snake draft what have you um with rookie drafts there's even more unpredictability so you have to at least use that to your advantage going in um and, and i think a lot of times we overstate talent and understate situation um, the, the, the example I always go to is Alvin Kamara. Um, when, when Alvin Kamara was a rookie before he was drafted as a prospect, I didn't love Alvin Kamara. And the instant that he got drafted to new Orleans, I was in love with Alvin Kamara. Uh, and it's all, it's all because of situation. I, I probably weigh situation more than others will, because I do have a shorter term window that I'm thinking in terms of, um, and then, you know, from, from a positional, you know, what position do I tend to, to look at and draft? It definitely depends on team composition. Um, so you would basically that would be you know drafting by need. Um, but generally speaking, I'm I'm a, I build wide receiver heavy um, because of the longevity and just just the the stability there. Um, so in rookie drafts, I'll I'll be more inclined to get a running back um, and really look at draft capital for running backs as well to to really pinpoint which guys are, are going to be at least in their situations for a longer period of time. Um, it, it's very, you know, it's very easy to fall in love with certain players pre-draft. You know, I really liked Alex Barnes, for instance, going into this year's draft. I thought that he was a really underrated prospect. I don't care about Alex. I mean, I'm sure he's a good guy, but I don't care about Alex Barnes from a football fantasy football perspective at all anymore being buried in, in Tennessee because he went undrafted. So, um, you know, th th and I have also found too, that traditionally, if you go from like a, you know, if you think about a, a rookie draft from a snake perspective, Second round running backs who have high draft equity, they hit at an unbelievable rate. So we're talking back in the day, like a Jeremy Hill, for instance. He he, you know, there, there are players who are buried in their own depth chart during their rookie year, but if they have good draft capital at running back, they're they're great buys. So this year, if you were to equate that to an auction draft or or to whatever you're doing, this year, those types of players, it was Daryl Henderson, but he's obviously rising. Uh, Daryl Henderson, Damian Harris is a very, very interesting buy because he's completely buried. But, you know, there has to be some logic and reason as to why they spend a day two pick on him. Um, Alexander Madison's another guy who had pretty good draft equity who uh, is just falling in draft. So pay attention to, to, to where these running backs are being drafted because you can really, really get awesome value uh, just based on their draft capital alone. JJ, thank you so much for that specific insight. And just to wrap us up and a couple of fun questions, speaking of stability and and um, and just situations, I, I've been lucky enough to like hang out with, with Goody and to develop a friendship vis-a-vis -vis this community. We, we got to meet once and our families got to hang out together. 
what was it that drew you to Denny, like, and your friendship? Was it like his online nihilism or just like general <laughs> angst? Like, wait, 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 it seems like you're a bit of an odd couple, but there's like a genuine rapport that you guys have. That's a really good standard for the industry. How many times have you guys met and, and like, and how did you come together? Like, I don't yeah. know that I've ever heard that. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. So we've met a few times now. Um, but when we started, uh, this is back in 2011, 2012, when we started in the in the fantasy industry. I just saw him tweeting. He was at some like fantasy conference and event, and he has a journalism background. So he was he was approaching reporting this event like like a journalist, you know, which is not what we typically see in the fantasy industry, right? We're all like bloggers, and it's a very yeah. different approach. Um, so I started following him and just like following all that, and we started talking to each other. I think the one thing that really connects us. Um, in general is, is our humor for sure. Like we, we yes. both approach humor in a very similar way. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're cool with making fun of ourselves and, and we're, we're very sarcastic. Um, and I think that was an easy, easy match for us, but man, I'll tell you what, it's so easy to do a podcast with someone who you genuinely believe is one of the funniest people that you've ever met. Um, and, and that's what I feel about that. I, 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 I am shocked in the best way possible by some of the things that he tweets. It's just, it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. So um, I think that rapport was just built out of, out of mutual respect for one another. Um, but, you know, at, at the same time, um, I, I think our personalities just, just mesh, you know, I, I'm, I'm more of the, you know, Denny, Denny low key is a very like passionate person and he, but he doesn't necessarily like on podcasts always get that you know, passionate and energetic. Whereas that's sort of like what I do on shows and stuff. And like, that's who I am as a, as a person. Um, but like, I think that sort of like love for what we do and who we are and, and what we stand for is really what connected us. You know, we're both family men, both, ha you know, we both, uh, both met our wives in high school, you know, it's just like that similar sort of life path. And I think it's really easy to connect with someone who has that, those types of similarities. Very good. And given that passion, if if we were in a world absent sport, uh, and you had to build a fantasy league to connect you to connect you with your friends and keep in touch, what would you build a fantasy game around other than sport? Do you think? Man, it's a, it's a tough question. I I think it would be fun uh, now that now that a lot of us live dad life yeah. uh, to do something around around the kids, right? So like a like a you know diaper changing type stuff, but also like a yard work. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta go stick with the dad brand, like a yard work, like how much mulch you move that day. Like what your grass is looking like, like that, that sort of, of fantasy league would be hilarious to do as well. Awesome. Goody, anything you want to say to your former editor and as, as the wayward number fire son over there? So. Yeah, no, I, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I know today you, you've got some Kyler Murray takes on you. You want to talk about that for a quick second? Sure. Like, I just, I'm just curious about the process. Cause like, I think like, you know, people I know and then like, I'm lucky to have some, you know, contacts like you in the industry and what amazes me about people like you and like Brad Evans from Yahoo, just how graciously you, you handle people, you know, you're taking like a math-based approach, trying to be very factual, matter of fact, and back up your takes with numbers. And, and then some people are just coming at you from all ways. I, I, I just, I, I want to kind of hear your perspective on that and how you handle that. And then, you know, thank you for, thank you for joining us today. Yeah. So, you know, with trolls in general, I, I like some sort of switch flip for me, maybe a couple years into doing this, it was just like, these people don't, don't like their life and they're coming at you because they either want to be in that position where your content is being shared 
Um, and there's like a jealousy factor. And I'm not saying that they're jealous of me as a person or whatever. It's the the jealousy of like people are talking about your piece of content and they they would love that their takes were out there. Um, so I, you know, to me, it's just it's whatever. Like I'm 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 talking fantasy football in my gym shorts every day. Um, I it's really, really difficult for me at this point to like unless someone like throws a, a really unnecessary dig my way, I will destroy them. Uh, but, but, you know, if it's something like your rankings are horrible and they're throwing the F bomb around, it's whatever. Like these, these guys hate their lives. Uh, but (laughs) I, I, you know, with Kyler Murray in particular, this is actually going to drop on my mailbag (laughs) episode on Friday, uh, on the late round podcast. But the one thing that's really interesting with the way that people are viewing Arizona is that they think that the way that we view Kyler Murray or Christian Kirk, et cetera, is all based on just hype. Right, that it's based on, which which you know with, with hype, where the, the word hype itself means that we're overvaluing something for no good reason, essentially, right? Um, but I think with what we see out of Arizona, this isn't a typical like, oh, there's a coaching scheme change, uh, and and therefore uh, this player is going to perform better out of the slot, yada yada, you know, sort of sort of questionable approaches to how we would change our fantasy strategies and the way that we view these players. With Arizona and Cliff Kingsbury, we have something that is so tied to fantasy football that is so objectively tied to fantasy football, and that's volume. We're going to see so many plays run. Cliff Kingsbury consistently was top 10 in pace and plays per game run when in college. We're going to see so many plays run, and that is what matters in fantasy football. It's all a volume game. So when you combine that with the fact that quarterback is completely replaceable in single quarterback leagues. So we should not, we, we should completely ignore downside when we're drafting our quarterbacks because we know that we can stream the position and we've been doing that on living the stream for the past five years to a QB six, right? So if that's your worst case scenario or, or ish, your worst case scenario ish, then go for upside, you know, get Lamar Jackson. Who cares if he sucks? You know, it, it doesn't matter. Um, so just look for that upside. And that's what I see with Kyler Murray is that you're essentially getting someone who could have insane rushing upside, which we know is very important at the quarterback position. Combine that with unbelievable passing efficiency in college with good weapons and a really pass heavy slash uh, lots of run and high paced scheme. He could blow up in fantasy football. So do I, do I think that, you know, my projections, if I were to lay them out, Kyler Murray wouldn't be the seventh overall quarterback, um, but I'm looking more at upside. And I think his upside, I mean, his upside is a top three quarterback and that's why I have him ranked where I do. Yeah, and your ranking of him also probably prices him out from of your strategy, right? Like at some point, like I think I think his hype is actually going to like carry forward, yeah. and I think someone's going to draft him quite early, precisely because of like all this like really true excitement surrounding the kid yeah. as he goes into the season. But we can speak to the volume of work that you produce and its efficiency. Thanks for what you do for the industry, and thank you for making time this morning and coming on with us. Uh, if people want to go chase down your work, where are the best places to find the stuff you're most proud of? Yeah, so I have horrible takes on Twitter at late round QB. Uh, at least that's what my mentions tell me. Uh, <laughs> and then over on numberfire.com, all my my written stuff is there. And then I have two podcasts: the late round podcast and living the stream. Well, there you go. All about reality listeners. Go get into JJ's mention and tell him, tell him how terrible his takes are, <laughs> along with the rest of the fantasy industry. Join that crowd. And Goody, where are they looking for you, man? Uh, they're looking for me on Twitter at Matt Goody2. And this is just your daily reminder that, you know, all, all fantasy football is about plucking value. And and I think Jay, you know, I thank JJ for throwing introducing his process to our listeners who, you know, 
many are familiar with and some maybe are catching for the first time. So JJ, you've been a huge mentor to me. I'm glad we can finally get you on here and, um, you know, looking forward to playing the fishbowl with you and having many conversations from afar on, you know, how things are going. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate it. All right. All about reality. That's JJ Zacharyson. This is Luke Patrick at fantasy.oc. And it's been a great episode of all about reality.